chapter 5, and I'm going to do something tonight that, uh, that I normally do on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, we've been in a series uh, on a heart unto him, and we've been looking at a, the heart of a disciple, and uh, we missed one week for vacation Bible school. We missed another week because uh, I was out preaching a funeral, and I did not want to fall behind, and as we begin to pray about it, I felt that tonight's message, the one we were going to preach Wednesday night, locked in very well with the message that God had us preach this morning. And so tonight, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter number 5. When you're there, let's stand together as we read down from verse 3 through verse number 8, and we'll pray <clears throat> and let you be seated. Good to see some of our friends visiting with us tonight, and look forward to what God would have to do in the service. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3. Uh, we're looking at a heart unto him and how Jesus is taking his newly minted disciples and he is beginning to write their software of who he would have them to be. And verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here we looked at the empty heart just a few weeks ago. And then we got to verse number four a week later, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. He's teaching them that oftentimes as a disciple you will have a broken heart. Verse number five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It was here we looked at a soft heart that is still moldable by God, and in order to be a disciple, we must maintain a soft heart. And we got to verse number six, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And here we looked at the hungry heart and how God desires that we hunger out of necessity for the things of God and for righteousness. We looked at verse 7, I believe it was the night we had our fireworks, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, and how mercy is an open heart, and how an open heart makes room for man, and how God in his mercy made room for man, and how God wants us to make room for others through mercy. And tonight we get down to verse number 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Tonight we will look at the right heart and the kind of heart that God is calling us to have as followers of him. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful tonight that, Father, we get to be a disciple. Father, it's not something we've got to do, but something we get to do. We get to be followers of Christ and help us realize tonight that, Father, for so long when we were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, that was not even possible. Because of the blood of Christ and the victory of the cross, Father, we are able now through salvation to become a disciple, a follower of Christ. And Father, that begins in our heart. And I pray that as we pick up tonight on this pure heart, this right heart, Lord, you'll help us to see the type of heart you'd have us to have, that we might represent you well in a world that desperately needs to see Christ. Bless the invitation, Lord, I pray we respond to your voice that we will hear in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As I mentioned, this is Wednesday night uh, message we're going to preach on Wednesday night, so we're going to take it a little bit slower and walk through this a little bit more Bible study. Didn't want to fall behind and come this Wednesday night, we will jump to verse number nine. But as we look here at verse number eight, we see, blessed are the pure in heart. And we oftentimes use those terms, pure in heart, to describe people that are of a soft nature and people who are kind-hearted. And oftentimes I do believe we look at these things in verse 3 through verse number 10 and 11 almost is admirable character traits that God would like us to pick and choose from. Now understand tonight, we've mentioned this over and over and over again, these are not admirable traits, these are things that God requires of disciples and people that go and represent Him. I believe tonight that oftentimes in the world we live in, uh, truth and the Word of God, we leave it open to a lot of interpretation. 
I saw this illustrated perfectly this week when I read a tweet by the backup point guard for the Brooklyn Nets, a man by the name of Spencer Dinwiddie, really that is his name, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, and uh, it fits him well. He said this the other day, he says, it's not about truth, it's about what we believe. That was his tweet, it's not about truth, it's about what we believe. And as crazy as that sounds, I would expect that from someone out in the world, but I believe that mentality has permeated the church, where we're less interested in truth and we're more interested in what we believe and how we interpret the Word of God. Now, folks, I want you to know tonight when God wrote this, He knew exactly what He meant. And He wants us to understand that we receive His Word the way He intended it, not the way we believe it should be read. And when we read this passage in verse number 8, The Bible tells us, blessed are the pure in heart. It is not for us to define what pure means. Uh, We have different interpretations of things. Uh, Tonight, there's there's a few of you in here that have yet to see the light and and come to become uh, LSU fans, but we're going to work on that and bring you around. We see different points of view on the best college football teams, and we like to play and joke about all of that. And when it comes to the Word of God, it's of no private interpretation. I do not have the liberty to take the Word of God and define it as ways that I believe I must let the Word of God define itself, and that inner dwelling of the Holy Spirit of God will help us to understand exactly what God is saying in verse number 8. So when he tells us, blessed are the pure in heart, I believe it's up to God to define the terms of what is pure. Oftentimes we like to think that truth is relative. No, it means exactly what God wants it to mean. So we look up the word pure, we find this. It means uncontaminated, or listen close, free from other substances or materials. Free from other substances or materials. So tonight when we look at a pure heart, or as we are characterizing it, and for the sake of the message title, a right heart, a right heart, a heart that is right with God is a heart that is free from some things. I want you to understand, as a disciple, the kind of heart that God desires us to have is a heart that is now free from some things that we used to not be free from. And we best go to the Word of God and let the Word of God define the things that we need to be free from in order to have the right kind of heart. Remember Matthew 12, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I mean, the heart is the steering wheel of our life. I remember, (coughs) excuse me, last year... I preached our junior camp. Obviously, wasn't pastoring at the time, but I preached our junior camp. And we talked a lot about the heart and how the heart is like a steering wheel. And as goes our heart, so goes the rest of our life. As out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the eyes will look, and the legs will go, and the hands will reach. So it's imperative tonight that we have the right heart according to what God says. And I believe tonight. Uh, The Word of God will define for us exactly what it means to have a pure heart and some things that God would desire that we be free from. Now, we're going to do some flipping around tonight. Don't normally do that. We're going to do a little flipping around, and we're going to look at three things that I believe God would have us to be free from in order to be or to have the heart of a disciple. Number one, you're going to have to pay close attention because I don't have the notes up for you tonight. This first one is easy. And this first one is one we'll probably all agree on, and we'll try to skip through it as quickly as possible, but we can't neglect mentioning this, that a pure heart or the right heart tonight is first free from what is unclean. 
A right heart or a pure heart is one that is free from what is unclean. Now, we know things that are unclean. They're things that defile us. The Word of God is very clear about things that we can do and places that we can go that defile our heart. Matter of fact, if you just look in chapter 5, look up to verse 27, the Bible says, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Watch verse 28, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already, watch this, in his heart. The Bible's telling us that lusting with the eyes defiles our heart. God desires us to have a pure heart and the right heart and a clean heart, and he's telling us the word of God will define for us things that defile our heart. By the way, this is why it's important you get to know his word. You know, I think as, as our children grow, we teach them uh, memory verses, and they learn their scriptures. But somewhere, maybe by the time we graduate high school, we quit doing that on our own. Thy word have I hid in my what? Heart. Thy word. Well, see, the word of God that dwells within our heart helps define for us how we may have a pure heart. Here's another one, 1 John chapter 3. The Bible tells us that if we hate our brother, that that is murder. Just by hating our brother, these are things the Word of God is defining for us of how our hearts can be defiled and how our hearts can become no longer that which he desires of one of his disciples. This is why David says in Psalms 139, Search me, O God. Search me, O God. And what did he go on to say? And know my heart. Why was David asking, almost begging God imperatively, Search me, God. Now, look, I'll be honest with you. Oftentimes, I've come to the house of God. I'm hiding things from God. Now, we're not really hiding things from God, but I try to pretend like there's nothing wrong. Pretend like I am harboring something in my life that that isn't there, but God sees that and God knows it. But David wanted to follow Christ. David wanted to have close, intimate fellowship with God. And so David was willing to subject himself to God and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. I want to know if there's anything in there that defiles. Because as long as my heart is not right, I am not right. I believe we've come to a place in Christianity where if we say it's so, then it's so. If we say we're okay, then we're okay. And if we say that it's right, it's right. But I'll be honest with you, the Word of God defines how we should live. The Word of God God defines the heart that we should have. So why does this matter tonight? Why does it matter that we be free from things that are unclean? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want to show you. 2 Timothy tells us tonight about vessels and how our bodies and our lives are like vessels. The Bible says in a great house there's different kinds of vessels. The Bible says if a man therefore will purge himself. Okay, the root word of the word purge is the word pure. There's our word from verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. If a man will therefore purge himself of these, the Bible says he'll be a vessel unto honor and meet for the master's what? Use. So notice tonight, the reason this is important to be free from what is unclean is because purity affects our productivity. Notice the vessel's not going to be used by the master unless the vessel is clean. Now folks, we have an entire generation of Christians, maybe two, who believes that God's going to use you exactly the way you are just because you want to be used. Doesn't work that way with God. 
Folks, I wish I could tell you, you come as you are and you stay that way, and God will be glad to use you anyway. It doesn't work that way. He said, if a man will purge himself, that is purification. He says, hey, there's some things in your life that are unclean, and they're defiling you. I often use the, uh, the example of a tomato seed stuck to a, a plate. There's nothing really that turns my stomach more. Maybe you'll be at a, uh, a buffet somewhere, and you go and you pull a fork out of that container. Man, and there's something stuck to it. Went out to eat today, and I did a pizza place, and I went to get a fork, and I pulled it out, and there was something on it. Man, I almost, I only ate two slices of pizza. It just sickened me so much. I wasn't about to use that. I wanted to throw it in the garbage. Why? It was defiled. It was unclean. Now, folks, look, I'm not going to use a dirty fork. I'm sorry. I will use my hands, okay? I know they're probably dirty too, but I would rather use a hand that I'm familiar with than a fork that I'm not, okay? Now, if we're not going to use a dirty vessel, why should God? Why do, why do we tell God, I want you to use me just the way I am? I'm not willing to come clean. I'm not willing to get right. I'm not willing to get rid of things that, that transgress the word of God. Just use me the way I am. doesn't work that way. That's why he says, blessed are the pure in heart, those that have purged, those that have cleaned out. The reason we need to make sure is because a pure heart will determine our productivity. We see this in the life of Samson. And I want you to think about Samson tonight. Oh, was he a man endued with God's power? And how we all desire the power of God in our lives, that God would use us in ways that he used Samson. Now, I know not, God's not going to let us go and tear up the gates of a city. I'd love to, to be honest with you, every once in a while, you know. Sometimes you just have a bad day and you just wish you could, but I'd go catch all those foxes and set their tails on fire. I mean, that would be fun too, but I do believe God wants us to have power in our life. And Samson had the power of God. Now, you know the story of Samson very well. Samson was a Nazarite. He had taken the Nazarite vow that he would not drink alcohol, touch a corpse, and he would not cut his hair. And Samson kept playing patty fingers with old Delilah on his power. And this is how that you, you bind me with these new twigs. And he would just play and he would jump up. And the Bible says that he would break those binds and be as strong as he was before. Finally, Samson transgressed the Nazarite vow. Samson had touched the carcass of the lion that we know. And he finally told Delilah it was in the cutting of his hair. Now listen close what the Bible says. The Bible says that after she had cut his hair... She says, the Philistines are upon us. They're upon you. And the Bible said that Samson was going to spring up as before. Samson's going to pop up and act like he did all the other times with the power of God. And the Bible says, he wist not the Lord was departed from him. You see, his purity affected his productivity. And later we see a Samson grinding at the meal with his eyes gouged out. A shell of the man that he used to be. Why? Because this matter of purity was not a priority in the life of Samson. I want you to know I believe the church today. Look, I love our church and I love our people. But understand this. This thing of purity still matters to God. And I believe our church more represents oftentimes the latter Samson than the former Samson. We don't represent the Samson of power and the Samson of victory and the Samson that was used mightily of God. We more represent the Samson whose eyes have been gouged out and we're just barely lumbering along as a slave. Why? Because we're not pure. 
security affects our productivity. There's something else I want you to know real quick on this first one, Psalm 66, 18. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard or I retain or I harbor, that means I hold on to iniquity, something that God calls sin and transgresses the word of God, steps over the line. The Bible says the Lord will not hear me. Now, I don't remember where it was. I was preaching somewhere the other day and I mentioned that this is not meaning God's not listening. It means a judicial term that God is not going to hear your case. Means God's not going to hear your petitions. He can hear you, but He's not going to hear your case. Why? Because of this thing of iniquity. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What does that mean? Well, that tells us tonight that a pure heart will also affect your prayer life. A pure heart will affect your prayer life. I don't know about you, there have been times in my life where I have had to get in touch with God. Every morning we ought to go to God with that kind of intensity. I got to talk to God today. I remember we were praying about moving down here. Oh, how many times I would go to the church, come out of my office, go down to the altar at our church and talk to God and say, God, I got to hear from you. I got to hear from you. I can't move my family from one state to another, to another church. I got to hear from you. Know your will. As the Sultan was saying just a moment ago, I've got to hear his voice. Can I tell you what I would usually do before I began to ask God what his will was for my family? I would say, search me, oh God, know my heart. I need to make sure there's nothing in the way of God hearing the petition that I'm asking of him to know his will for my family. Folks, this is important. I remember my, my mom, I don't know, I guess it was about 15, 16 years ago, was put in Forest General. This is when her health began to really uh, flare up and realize that uh, she was not as normal as we thought she was. And uh, you can tell because I'm her offspring, I am her son. And uh, she was in the hospital some 30 days. 30 days, my, my dad stayed up there with her at Forest General for, over, for a month, and I remember what the doctors came in one night, and they were looking at lymphoma cancer, wasn't sure, but they said it's a fairly good chance that your mom has lymphoma cancer, and if, it, if it's what it could be, she could have a year to live. Boy, I remember my whole world began to, to spin at that moment, because I'm on the same, I'll tell you, I am a mama's boy. Some of you are too, I got to know you a little bit, some of you are mama's boys, I can tell. I began to think, no, I, no, that, that's unacceptable. A year to live? No, that's unacceptable. I remember going home, my brother and I, and we knelt down in the corner of the little house that we lived in there, uh, overlooking the, the pond, right there in the front corner of the living room, and we began to pray. And I want you to know, before I begin to pray, I begin to ask God, is there anything in there? If there's anything in there that's going to hinder my prayer, look, I've got to have an emergency injunction from the, from the bench of God. I've got to hear from the judge tonight. I need to get a hold of the judge. I can't wait because of what the doctors have to say. I need to know that my prayers are getting past the cellotex in the ceiling. So what do we make a priority of? It's purity. Proverbs 28, 9, the Bible says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. He that turns away his ear from hearing. I don't want to hear what God has to say. Your prayer can even become an abomination. So we see, why is it important? Well, because a pure heart will determine our productivity. A pure heart will affect our prayer. But then there's something else. We see in the life of Achan that a pure heart will affect our power. As the children of God were soundly defeated by the small city of Ai, all because there was sin in the camp. Remember when Joshua went to God and he says, why don't we have your power? Why didn't you work for us? God says, there's sin in the camp. 
And Joshua began to go family by family and clan by clan trying to find the sin that was in the camp. Why? Because that sin had cost them their power. We see a church today without power. Why? Because purity is no longer a priority. Folks, look, we can have the best programs in all of the world. Without the power of God, this thing's worthless. We're no different than any other place that calls themselves a church out there. If we don't put a priority on the purity of our heart, real quickly, Job would tell you that purity adds to your protection. The devil wanted to get Job. He comes to God and he, God says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, you built a hedge around him. I'll promise you that hedge was not there because Job was off living riotously. That hedge was there because Job was upright, feared God, and eschewed evil. You see, Job put a priority on purity. So, that's number one. Blessed are the pure in heart. A pure heart is a heart that is free from contamination. So, number one, it's free from what is unclean. And here's where the fun starts. I want you to know I love you, okay? For, for those of you that were here last Sunday, lady at our church says, every time you tell us you love us, you're mean to us. Oh, no, I don't plan on being mean to you. The second thing gets a little bit more specific tonight. Because, see, not all things... Not all things that can contaminate us are wrong or are bad. You say, what do you mean? Well, we know the things that are wrong. We know we're not to hate people. We know we're not to lust. We know we're not to cuss and things along that that, that line. But, you know, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. Not all things are expedient. That's a word I don't use very often. So I had to go look it up to see what it meant. And the word expedient means this. It means come together or fit. Paul says not all things fit. They may not be wrong, but listen close. Number two, I believe the heart of a disciple is the heart that is free from what is uncharacteristic. It is free from what is uncharacteristic. Can I tell you this? Just because it isn't wrong doesn't mean it's right for you. And I'm going to repeat that one more time. Let it sink in just a little bit. Just because it isn't wrong, doesn't mean it is right for you. There's too many of us tonight that we're living by the standard of it's not wrong. Can I ask you tonight, when did not wrong become the Christian standard? When did not wrong... Can I tell you what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12? And Look, I want you to know, look, I have to swallow this before I spit it out, okay? And so I understand where we're at tonight, but understand this. I talk to so many Christians, and they'll say, you can't show me chapter and verse where that's wrong. Now, folks, not wrong is not the Christian standard. Romans chapter 12, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Listen close. He's about to get real clear on what he's looking for. Holy and acceptable unto God. So the Christian standard is not, not wrong. It's holy. It was acceptable to God. It goes on in verse number 2 of Romans 12. It says, and be ye not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Here's what we got to get. Look, if we want God's power on our life, and we want a life that represents a disciple of Christ, we've got to understand that our standard is this, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, 
and perfect will of God. I am not here to prove what is not wrong. I am here to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. Look, I have to deal with this in my life, in my home, just like you do. And it's not always easy, but it says what it says. And if we want the power of God on our church, in our lives, and in our homes, we've got to understand this thing of purity still matters to God. And we've got to be pure and free from things that are uncharacteristic of a Christian. I believe this is what he's telling us. Oftentimes, you know, we, we like to say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Let me, give you an, let me give you an example. I was trying to think of something bizarre this afternoon, and, and it shouldn't take me long to do that. But do you know there's nothing wrong with walking around on all fours? As far as I know, there's not any law on that yet. As far as I know, there's not. Can you imagine if we decided tonight, no, please don't do this, especially while we have visitors here. If we decided when we all walk out of church tonight, we're going to walk out on all fours. We're going to do that. And everybody coming up and down 49 is going to see everybody sitting at the church walking out to their car on all fours. Now, there's nothing in the world wrong with that, okay? I can't show you chapter. I can't show you verse. But I want you to know that kind of behavior is not really characteristic of the kind of church we're trying to build here. I mean, the next Sunday, we'd have all kind of wackos here because they're like, yeah, I found a place where I fit in. Now, folks, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's uncharacteristic of what we're supposed to be representing. Now, folks, this is important tonight. Give an example. I was telling someone about this the other day. March the 24th, 1989, the Exxon Valdez crashed into the Blythe Reef in um, Prince William Sound, Alaska. You know the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Some of you were not born yet, so just trust me, it was an oil spill, Okay. 10.8 million gallons of oil flowed into Prince William Sound. Can I tell you tonight, there's nothing wrong with oil. Matter of fact, it's a good thing. Uh, some of you might need to check yours. Your car was smoking on the way here tonight. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with oil in its right place. Nothing wrong with, with Prince William Sound in its right place. The problem was when we started, when the two got mixed. That's what made the mess. Nothing wrong with oil, but that's not the place for it. That's not the characteristic area where it needs to be. Now, folks, there's a lot of things that way in the Christian life. Our standard should not be, I'm going to get as close to the edge as I can. No, it should be, I've got to represent. I mean, is that not what it said in Romans chapter 12? That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I'm not here to prove what's not wrong. I'm here to prove the perfect will of God. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And yet we give ourselves passes because we say it's not wrong. This morning I mentioned Hebrews chapter 12 where the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Interesting that God used two things that we need to lay aside. Weights and sins. Now we, we know what sin is. I mean, what the Bible says is wrong. But he also said weights. Can I tell you what weights are? Weights are something that's uncharacteristic for a runner. I, I, I mean, uh, you know, these guys that run track, they wear the lightest jerseys and the, the lightest shorts. If you could call them shorts, that's what they are. They wear the lightest shoes, you know. Uh, I've even seen them run without their shirt and they have their number painted on their chest. I mean, they're wanting to lose all the weight they can. And so he says, lay aside every weight and sin. He differentiated between two. You see, not everything that's a weight is a sin. Not everything that's a sin is a weight. But there's some things that are uncharacteristic for a Christian. 
And we need to make sure that we're here to prove the will of God. A few days ago, we were in Cracker Barrel eating with my mom and dad. I think it was about a week ago. My daughter, my daughter ordered a root beer. And uh, the lady comes out with a Stewart's root beer in the bottle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The brown bottle. And all of a sudden, my daughter turned every shade of red. <laughs> Just speckled. She gets that from her dad. My ears start glowing red when I start getting nervous. So that ought to be a signal to you. If we're sitting there talking, my ears are glowing red. You're making me nervous, okay? Just step back a little bit. You're worrying me. Her face <laughs> got all speckled and contorted. <laughs> She's going like that. What was it? It was root beer. Sarsaparilla. I mean, it's root beer. Nothing bad about root beer. But it was the appearance of it. You know, if you walk, if you walk by my, uh, my table and you saw that brown bag, that, that brown bottle that was there, the first thought probably was not be that it was root beer. The first thought would be, you know what, that looks kind of like a beer bottle. I bet your head would snap around. Now, nothing wrong with it, but you know what? I don't know that it's best. If you saw me going down the road and you saw me had a brown bottle to my mouth while I'm driving, what are you going to think? Oh, I, I can tell you what you think because you'd put it on Facebook immediately. <laughs> I saw the preacher driving down the road drinking a Bud Light. No, nothing wrong with a root beer, but it's not very characteristic of a Christian to be putting a brown bottle to their mouth. A while back, I went through this little, little phase in my life where I wanted, uh, I liked blow pops. And uh, I was trying to lose some weight so I'm not be a fat preacher. I'm determined not to be a fat preacher. And um, as a kid, I used to watch these preachers all the time. They're pulling their pants up while they're preaching. I said, I'm not going to be one of those. So I'm working on that. And so I decided I was going to eat, eat uh, blow pops. And I just kind of stick it in the corner of my mouth, kind of have something to chew on. And going down the road, and one of my men says, did I see you smoking today? I said, yeah. Yeah, you did. It really hurt my heart that he actually thought that. And so then I started tearing the sticks off my blow pops and sticking them in the corner of my mouth, you know. And then they thought I was chewing tobacco, you know, the whole thing is there in my mouth. I just couldn't win. So I gave up the blow pops. I've gone to chiclets, you know, chiclets are safe. You can get by with that. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. But the Bible does tell us to abstain from all appearance of evil. Now notice he didn't just say abstain from evil. Well, that's an obvious, that's a given. He said, I want my people to abstain from all appearance of evil. You see, just because it's not bad doesn't mean it's good. And folks, I'm here to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I had a man ask me a while back. He was one of our new converts in Louisiana. And the man says, look, there's a friend of mine who's just not listening to what I'm trying to tell him. So I'm just going to have to put it down on his level. I said, what does that mean? He was asking my permission to do something bad, not good. We'll put it that way, not good. And uh, I asked him, what does that mean? He says, well, I'm just going to go get him told. He just needs to get told. He says, is that all right? Because somebody needs to. I mean, look, if that was a job opening, there would be a line out the door for people signing up for that job just to get people told who need to get told. Here's what I asked him. I says, do you have to step out of character to do it? Do you have to step out of character to do it? He goes, yeah, that's what I thought. He knew already it was something he probably did not need to be doing. Can I tell you tonight, if you have to step out of your Christian character to do something, then it's wrong. Because you're here to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Several years ago, we were in uh, Disney World, and I, uh, I walked up to Goofy that was standing there. And Goofy was extra tall this day. 
And uh, I asked the handler that was with them, I said, is, is Goofy a man or a woman? You know, on the inside. You know, what is that? And the guy looked at me and he says, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, inside that suit, is that a man or a woman? Because my wife and I had this kind of bet going on. Not a bet, a wager. We had this wager going on. <laughs> Christians don't bet. They wager. We had this wager. I was looking at the, the black stockings and I said, that's got to be it. That's got to be a woman. My wife says, no, that's a man. And, and the guy says, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. Goofy is a dog. I put him off the side. Come here, man. Come here. I need to know this so I can prove to my wife that I was right again. And uh, I said, uh, is that a man or a woman? And he looked at me with the most blank stare. I mean, I felt like a, an idiot. I really did. He says, sir, Mickey's a mouse. Goofy's a dog. Donald's a duck. I don't know what you're asking me. <laughs> I, I, I walked away. I, I was in fantasy land. That was for sure. Later, I got to talking to another cast member about it. Here's what they told me. They are trained at Disney World never to step out of character. Never step out of character. Boys, I went back to my hotel that night. I thought, boy, how this church could change this world if we just had the sense of Goofy and Pluto and Donald and Mickey. That we were going to live a life where we did not step out of character. I believe number two tonight, a pure heart is a heart that is free from what is uncharacteristic. Just because it is not wrong does not mean it is right for us. Now, the Bible tells us about the church of Antioch, the book of Acts. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. They were first called Christians at Antioch. There was something about those people at Antioch that was characteristically Christ. I wonder today if there was no Christian name, what people would call us based on our character. If they were to watch us and follow us around and watch how we interact with people at Walmart and how we interact with people at our job and our schools, could they tell that we are characteristically Christ? Or could they tell that we are the nothing wrongers? Instead of Christians, they're going to say, those are the nothing wrongers because... They just go by what is, they think is not wrong. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll give you the last thing tonight. Listen to how God describes his children. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Now, you listen to those adjectives. He could have just says, nice folks. But he says, chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. You think about royalty. We don't have royalty in America today. But think about those folks over there in England who still do have a, a queen. Man, when that little woman comes down the street, man, it's this big deal. When this queen comes down the road, people don't go, well, that was all right. That wasn't bad. No, she comes down the street in royal fashion because of who she is. The Bible says we're a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, and we are to show forth. That's that light shining. The praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So number two, I believe the pure heart is one that is free from what is unclean. Number two, it's free from what is uncharacteristic. And then lastly tonight, turn over with me, if you will, to John chapter 15. 
John chapter number 15. I want you to look down to verse number one. I believe God wants us to be free from what's unclean. We agree with that one. Free from what is uncharacteristic. Things that do not represent who we're supposed to represent. But notice John 15 in verse number one. The Bible says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. It's amazing how this standard seems to be getting elevated for the Christian life. He wants us to live a life free from what is unclean, what is uncharacteristic. Listen, none of us are going to be perfect, but this is the goal. We've got to shoot for purity. We've got to shoot for that. But then notice he's speaking in verse number 15 of fruit. The last thing tonight that I believe describes the heart, the pure heart of a disciple, the right heart of a disciple is one that is free from what is unfruitful. One that is free from what is unfruitful. Notice verse number two, the Bible says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. So what are we getting at here? We're getting at fruit. And we're seeing how the husbandman grooms the plants in order to produce fruit. Back there in my office, I have a bonsai tree that I have kept alive since December. And I am very proud of that because it's not long. I usually kill plants and animals that come to our house, you know. I don't know. They just, they boycott and die. They do not bring cats or dogs to our house. I'll be honest. They will die. It just happens. They, they, they would rather die than live at our house, you know. And some of you are like, amen. But um, I had this bonsai tree back there in my office. My wife got it for me in December of last year. And ever, ever since I seen Karate Kid back in the 80s, I wanted one. I knew I couldn't have his moves, but if I could just have his plant, at least I could feel like there was some kind of a connection there. So she brought me this bonsai tree, and it comes with these little snippers, and it's supposed to relieve stress. And so I'll sit back there in my office some days. You wonder what I do between Sundays and Wednesdays? That's what I do. I just sit back there trimming the bonsai tree. I got these little nippers back there, and I'm snipping off these. Here's what I'm doing. There's a shape that I'm looking for. There's a shape that I want my bonsai tree to be in. And so what I do is as that thing grows, I begin snipping at it. I begin pruning at it just a little bit. Why? Because there's, there's a form that I want it to take. Now, folks, tonight, there's something God wants out of us, and that is to produce fruit. In order to produce fruit, notice there's a lot of trimming that goes on with these branches. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, the Bible says he takes it away. So notice purity affects our fruit tonight. Having purity in my life and keeping my life free from things that are hindering my growth, that's affecting the fruit that I produce. So Real quickly, the Bible says there's some things he taketh away. There's some things that he taketh away. I think, I think it's like this morning. I believe, I believe God put all of this together that I wouldn't be here on Wednesday night. I would preach this message tonight. It would go right along with this morning. You know, this morning we talked about severing ties with some things. And we see here, he takes away things that are unfruitful. Tonight, if we have a genuine desire to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, and have that right heart that our Father wants for us, we must be willing to take some things away. Not because they're bad and they're mean, but because they are unfruitful. Now, folks, tonight, I don't know about you, but I have to to do a, a garage sale from time to time in my life. My wife will mention those horrible words, garage sale. Oh, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. She starts going through the house, starts going through the house. When was the last time you wore this? 
Uh, she said, you better give me warning next time because buddy, last time I lost half my closet. And she says, you had more of this in a while. Starts going through, getting rid of stuff that we don't wear, things that we don't use. And she kind of cleans it out to make room for the, the new junk that we're going to buy here in just a few days. <laughs> now, folks, it's the same way spiritually. From time to time, we need to walk through the corridors of our heart. Search me, oh God, know my heart. See if there's anything wicked and unclean and uncharacteristic. But also, God, would you remove anything that's unfruitful? Let me tell you what will happen. Matthew chapter 13, I won't turn there for the sake of time. Uh, but, uh, man, I can't believe it's already after 6 o'clock. You didn't, wouldn't believe it's 6.30, would you? Yeah, it is. No, just kidding. Some of you are like, time flies when we're having fun. Matthew chapter 13, remember the parable of the sower? The Bible says that some of the seeds fell among what? Some fell on good ground. Amen. Some fell in the thorns. Now, listen close. Do you know what thorns are? Thorns are unfruitful. And the Bible says that when those seeds fell among the thorns, rather than produce fruit, the unfruitful things choked out the fruit. This is why it's important tonight that we remove and take away things that are unfruitful because the unfruitful will sooner or later choke out the fruitful. I told somebody the other day that uh, social media, you know, I know a lot of people in there, keep up a lot of people on that. And sometimes folks will just put some posts on there that, that get on my nerves Do you know how people want you to think they're really living their life and you know that that's not how they're living their life? But on Facebook, everybody believes that's how they're living their life because they got the pictures to prove it. I told somebody the other day that there have been a few people that I've had to unfollow on social media. Do you know why? Because when I would read their posts, and some of them are scripture posts, but when I would read their posts and know how they're living, it did not edify me. It wasn't edifying me. It was not bringing forth fruit in my life. So there may be some people tonight you have to unfollow. But the last thing I'll give you under that heading, notice the second part of verse 2. The Bible says, in every branch that bears fruit. This is important to notice that both got trimmed. In every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Notice the word purge again. What's the root of the word purge? It's the word pure on my little bonsai plant the other day. I wish I'd have brought it. I really do, because I'm so proud that it's still alive uh, and that I haven't killed it. There was a little branch that was going off to the right. It was nice and green, but it was, it was, was kind of like a cowlick, you know? Some of you folks who have cowlicks, you know what it's like. You just have this wild piece of hair, and I hated cowlicks for all these years, and finally God answered my prayer and just took them away. <laughs> and so they're gone. Be careful what you pray for, or God may answer your prayer and your cowlicks fall out like they are mine. But I'm, the Rogers gave me some shampoo. I'm really working on it, trying to grow this thing back and look good for you, so just bear with me. But there was nothing wrong with that branch. But that branch was not contributing to the overall shape that I'm trying to form it into. So even though it was not anything wrong with that branch, it was not conforming to what I was trying to mold it to be. And so I took the little snippers off, and I cut it off. So what are you getting at? Well... Understand this tonight. We must be willing to sacrifice what is sufficient. We must be willing to sacrifice what is sufficient in order to have what is spectacular. There's some things in your life there's nothing wrong with, okay? And you're sufficient to have those things, and you'll be a good old average Christian. But why be satisfied with sufficient when you can be spectacular? To be conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? They shall see God. Hebrews 10 tells us about the Old Testament priests when they would come into the presence of God. And oh, how those priests had to be right with God. 
If they came into the presence of God in that holy of holies and were not right, God would kill them. God demanded purity. The Bible says now because of Christ we have access to the presence of God. But don't think for a second purity doesn't matter anymore. Because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I don't know about you tonight, but I believe that purity, according to the word of God, is essential in following Christ. We must be free of some things. Let's be free of what's unclean. That's an obvious. Let's be free of what's uncharacteristically Christian. Say, hey, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not a good characteristic of a Christian. And then let's be free of what's unfruitful. When people see us, they might say, look at those folks from Central Baptist Church. Those are Christians. And just as they were first called Christians at Antioch, wouldn't it be a wonderful testimony? People have had his work say there's some Christians there at Central Baptist Church. And it starts right here with having the right heart. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.